Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers, But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be among you. And thank you for your kind uh, welcome, Brian. Appreciate it. Now, as I look at this passage, Luke 22, verses 24 to 35, it seemed to me that there are three possible talks here, and if this were a Bible study, then I'd work through them all. But this is a sermon. So I'm going to talk about goats and consider Luke 22, 24 to 30. So you may like to turn to it, so phones out or whatever. Now, when I say goat, of course, I'm not talking about a four-footed animal that likes to eat anything and provides really good cheese. Rather, I'm talking about an acronym, the greatest of all time, that kind of goat. I consider batting the Don, not Carson, Don Bradman. Think of just the little master, as he was called. Consider bowling, Shane Warne. Warning, not only for the number of wickets he took, which has now been exceeded, but he revived the art of leg spin bowling. Consider tennis, Serena Williams or Margaret Court and the number of championships that they won. Who among them is the GOAT? Well, in the light of uh, the sad situation in Ukraine, and I have a Ukrainian heritage, maybe in the light of Putin, we need another category, the WOAT, the worst of all time. Now, the disciples of Jesus had a goat discussion of their own, it seems, as to who was the goat among them. 
So let's look at the dispute and Jesus' response to it. And we shall see that in Luke's narrative world, Jesus is portrayed as the Lord who corrects, the Lord who serves, and the Lord who confers a kingdom. Well, first then, the dispute. Verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. In other words, who is the apostolic goat? What an example of uh, incubitus in say, being turned in on oneself with that kind of question. The dispute is animated by self-interest, not kingdom interest. But, but why that topic? Why were they disputing about that? It seemed to me by this stage in Luke's story of Jesus, the disciples had developed great expectations. Think of Luke 9.20. Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ of God, the anointed one, the Messiah, the promised king of Israel. Think of the triumphal entry presented in Luke 19. Palm Sunday is coming up. The crowd of disciples sang Psalm 118, verse 26, amongst other things, with a key twist. Instead of, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they sang, blessed is the king, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And there were Pharisees in the throng who saw the implications of the change in the wording. We read, some of the Pharisees in the crowd, verse uh, 39, said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus knew what was happening in God's plan and where he fitted in. He said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The promised king has come to Zion. Think of the institution of the Lord's Supper earlier in Luke 22. Jesus refers to the coming kingdom twice. Great kingdom expectations. And these disciples were in the king's entourage, weren't they? They were his crew. Hence the question seems to me of greatness and their share in it as uh, stakeholders. Now, Jesus turns the occasion of the dispute into a teachable moment. So let's look at the Lord who corrects. And I'll add some commentary to the passage as I read it. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, the king of the Gentiles lorded over them. Interestingly enough, the same Greek word as used in the Greek version of the Old Testament, Genesis 3.16 of the fallen husband's relation to the wife. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. And when you think about it, bestowing a benefaction serves the interests of power. The recipient becomes indebted to the patron. But you, and it's emphatic, are not to be like them. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves, says Jesus. Well, who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? Now, Jesus is the absolute master of the question. Uh, over a hundred questions he asks in the Gospels, at least. But I am among you, he says, 
as one who serves. A contrast, contrast is being drawn, isn't it? On the one side, there are the pagan kings of the Gentiles, the non-Jewish rulers, those who lorded over others, those who call themselves benefactors, those waited on at table by others. On the other side, the youngest, and in antiquity, age mattered. Leviticus 19.32, in the King James Version, you shall rise up for the hoary head. That is the hair, grey or white. Um, the NIV is a little more sanitised. Stand up in the presence of the age, show respect for the elderly and revere your God. One day at Moore College, as a student, we were all seated. Principal Knox came in, white hair, stood at the front. No one stood. And he said, rise up before a hoary head. <laughs> we had no idea what he was talking about, none at all. And as for the servant who waits on the table, a menial rather than a magnificent one, as far as antiquity was concerned, as to roll. You see, the young and the servant have none of the power or the prestige of kings. And Jesus' two questions underscore the contrast, don't they? For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But he's kind of reverse all that. <laughs> Disciples are not to be like the first group, those pagan rulers. The members of that group are the sort of people who pursue the goat, pursue to be the greatest of all time. The Ozymandias complex for those who know their poetry. So with whom should the disciples identify? That's the question to know. We now turn to the Lord who serves. I am among you as one who serves. It's from such sayings of Jesus that we get this concept of servant leadership, don't we? But serve, what does it look like? Well, such service can be dramatically seen, counted in, this, in the story of the footwashing of John 13. Jesus takes the servant's role and washes the disciples' feet from the dust of time. Recall the occasion. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? Another question. He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. Uh, the imitation of Christ lies at the heart of Christian life. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. Something very important is being said when you have that amen, very truly, preface. Nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know this. You'll be blessed if you do them. You see, disciples are to be like their Lord, characterised by service. Mark 10.45 provides an illuminating parallel, helping to see what such service supremely looks like. Again, the context is this question of greatness. For even the Son of Man, verse 45, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for me. That mention of ransom 
takes us to the cross of Good Friday, does it not? No greater act of service imaginable. To give one's life for the benefit of another. Friends, the fact is, everyone in this room has been God. And may we appreciate that afresh this Easter season. Our kingdom greatness. Next learn of the Lord who confers a kingdom. Verse 28, you are those who stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The disciples, the best is yet to be. The kingdom will come in all its glory. And as we learn from Matthew 28, from the risen Christ, all authority has been given him in heaven and earth. There will be a messianic banquet as the Jews of the day expected. But what are we to make of Jesus? Talk about eating, drinking, judging, and the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, passing over that, no. Here one's eschatology comes into play. Daryl Bock puts it nicely. Some see the fulfillment of these words in Acts and in the Lord's Supper. But Jesus does not eat that meal himself. He only is present. Also, the Lord's Supper is not a Passover meal, which is what he alludes to here. Jesus has in mind the great consummation of promise when he returns to earth and directly and visibly rules with his saints. I, writes Bock, prefer a premillennial approach to the end times. So for him, this would happen in the millennial period. I myself, speaking for myself, prefer the phrase symbolic millennialists rather than amillennialists because amillennialists believe in a millennium of some kind. Bock says, amillennialists will see this return as involving the setting up of the new heavens and the new earth. With Jesus' return, redemption will draw near and the kingdom will come in its decisive, most fulfilling form. Look, on either view, kingdom expectations are right and proper. The problem is when we place ourselves in the foreground of that great that future picture. So what is Jesus saying? Disciples, royal greatness is coming to you all. But it's my gift. Disciples' royal status is coming to you all, but it's my gift. Disciples' royal roles are coming to you all, but it's my gift. Well, we come now, of course, to the so what question. What is the challenge for us uh, today in the light of our passage of Scripture? And here I'll draw on an essay by A.W. Tozer, to start with, and for many years he was a pastor in Chicago, then Canada. He was an autodidact, which is not a medical issue. It means he was self-taught. He was a self-taught theologian. There have been very few since the Reformation that are worth reading or hearing. <laughs> Tozer was one, and Charles Spurgeon was another. It's been said that reading Tozer is like putting your head in a blast furnace. He could write in a blistering way. Now, this American pastor wrote an essay on seven marks of a godly person. And number six is especially relevant, and note that the pronouns reflect the era in which he wrote. 
This is what he said. The desire to see others advance at his expense is another mark of the spiritual man. He wants to see other Christians above them and are happy when they are promoted and he is over them. There's no envy in his heart when his brethren are honoured as he's pleased because such is the will of God and that will is his heavenly, earthly heaven. If God is pleased, he is pleased for that reason. And if it pleases God to exalt another above him, he's content. ask, do you rejoice when you see others do good kingdom work? Whether in evangelism or Bible teaching or mercy ministry, look, I must confess at times, especially when I was younger, when I envied someone I knew in ministry because they got a posting at a prestigious church that I wanted so badly and rightly missed out on. I think the rector sensed my immaturity and wisely looked elsewhere. And I must confess, at times I've been jealous of the respect that others were developing as speakers and writing, writers. How right Calvin was that uh, repentance doesn't just stop at conversion. Ask another question. What destroys a ministry? Now, Richard Foster suggests the big three, money, sex, and power. Money, embezzlement, sex, sexting, porn, immorality, infidelity, power, bullying. My wife and I spent 16 years in Chicago land. In that time, we saw ministries collapse because of money or sex or power. Two mega churches and a smaller one down the road from where we live. One ministry collapsed because the, the senior pastor developed a, an online gambling habit and embezzled church funds. He went to jail. Another ministry collapsed because of immoral behaviour on the part of the senior pastor, the sort of behaviour that has led Brian Houston to resign from his home. Another had to resign because it came to light he was an overbearing bully, damaging those who worked under him. Is not that lording it over, like the Gentile rulers that Jesus spoke against? In fact, my wife used to listen to him on the car radio, but she worked out it wasn't preaching, it was shouting that she was listening to. And that was actually emblematic of this man, who was a very big man physically. Let me suggest a fourth, and this does, I think, bear on our passage. Prestige. Be highly respected by others. To have a high reputation. To be that able brother, that able sister. To be on the goat track to be the greatest in glory. Now, there is a prestige that comes because others recognise your contribution, its quality. But I'm talking about a prestige as a life goal of someone. I believe that's a particular temptation for Christian academics. 
goal driven by an inflated view of the self and its importance. So friends, let's examine ourselves this morning. What are our ambitions? What really makes us tick? May the Holy Spirit help us to do so. But friends, you see, there's only one goat. The one who said, I'm among you as one who serves. And no other. Let us pray. Our gracious God, please keep us from the foolishness of thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. May your spirit be our helper here. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.